We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato. They were here to do a little fun discussion for the dead time of the offseason. We've got some time to go until training camp. And so we wanted to break down how the Giants roster compares to the rest of the NFC East. We've heard Joe Shane. We've heard Brian Dable. We've heard just about everyone talk about how important it is to stack up against your division and to win those division games. And how, you know, at times roster construction is dependent on what's going on in your division. So we wanted to see where the Giants stack up against the rest of the division. So we ranked the Giants by position group versus the division. And then we ranked the entire division as well, Nick. So we'll have a little bit of a discussion off of that. Before we do any of that, though, how was your weekend, bud? My weekend was great, Dan. Thank you so much. And this exercise, I have to say, was a little bit more difficult than I imagined with some of these position groups. I'll say one thing, though. Just going through the interior defensive line position group, the NFC East is just king shit at the interior defensive line. What a freaking division we have. And I think the Giants might be at the top, but we'll have to wait and see. I definitely thought it was interesting to go through just all these teams looking at different, you know, grades from pro football focus, advanced stats and different things Mm -hmm. that, you know, just thinking back to the six games we got to see of these teams last year to the two each against the Giants on film, which is probably our largest sample size we had against any team but the Vikings. And it was just interesting to think through. I think what you said is is the is the key takeaway here. And, and it was as expected. These are really good teams in the trenches. These are teams with really good defensive fronts. But I was actually surprised at another position that stood out to me as having a lot of talent across the board, all four teams in the division. And that's the edge rusher position. There are a lot of good pass rushers in this division. It was not that easy for me to rank the four teams, though, you know, where the Giants stack up, maybe I think it's probably going to be similar for both of us. But the rest of those teams were tough to stack up against each other. I have maybe a different opinion on, on, on that. And there's some teams that have one really good pass rusher, one that might be fading and things like that. Some older players. So I was definitely intrigued by not only the defensive line, but the pass rush. It just goes to show like, it's going to be a big season for Evan Neal. It's going to be a big season for Ben Bredesen. If he plays it's going to be a big season for Josh Azudu and John Michael Schmitz, because, and he honestly, you know, Everybody but Andrew Thomas probably belongs in that sentence because this is every single time he faces a vision, there's good pass rushers and there's good stout fronts to to really free up these pass rushers. So we'll have to see what happens there on that front. Just something that really put in my mind, like if the Giants do go back in next year's offseason, Nick, 
I'm hoping and I'm thinking that they're going to probably be focused once again on rebuilding out the trenches. Probably guard is going to be a major priority next offseason, to be honest. I don't think Glowinski is a big part of their future. And so you really have to find a way to protect yourself against these interior fronts and these pass rushes. I mean, you got to look at the Cowboys and Eagles just in general before we get into the quarterback position and spark this off. They led the league in pressure rate. Cowboys were actually higher than the Eagles with a 25.6% pressure rate. The Eagles were just behind them at 25.5%, followed by the Jets, Jags, Chiefs, and then the New York Giants. One reason why is because the New York Giants brought more blitzes than anybody else in the league, but Philadelphia didn't necessarily do that. And Dallas has Micah Parsons. So this division protection is king, and that's going to allow your quarterback to cook. It's going to allow your rushing game to also be effective. You need to protect the quarterback. You need to have a good pocket. The Giants, it's got to be their main priority heading into the season. Yeah, it really, it really is their main priority, and we're going to see how that shapes out in training camp. But let's dive into some of the rankings here, Nick. Um, we'll go position by position here. So let's start with a quarterback, and give me your rankings and then your rationale. Quarterback was an interesting one. I didn't know who to put number one. Now, Washington is last for me. We're not even really 100% certain who their starting quarterback is going to be. Is it going to be Sam Howe? Maybe it's Jacoby Brissett who they brought in. I think Jake Fromm is also on that roster, which is kind of funny. Giants got Daniel Jones, but I had to go with somebody who may have won the MVP last year if he didn't get injured. And that is Jalen Hurts. And I get it. This is a collective approach. Football is a, a team game. It's a little bit hard to distinguish between, oh, well, Jalen Hurts has better weapons. Jalen Hurts has better protection. Jalen Hurts has better this. All of those factors are true, but I still don't believe those factors negate the fact that he was the best quarterback as well because he was able to maximize that situation and develop since uh, his time at Alabama and his time at Oklahoma. So I was coming down to him and Dak Prescott. So I had went with Jalen Hurts, number one, and then I went with Dak Prescott, followed by Daniel Jones at a strong three. I think Daniel Jones is at least in the conversation now. I don't think it's ridiculous to at least posit the idea that he is in that conversation. A year ago, I probably would not have said that. But right now, I would go Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott with the Dallas Cowboys, who I feel like is still a really good processor, who I don't think has taken the steps that a lot of Dak believers have thought he would take yet. It's kind of stagnated a little bit after coming into the NFL and being like, holy crap, this guy's pretty good. Suffered a couple injuries as well. Daniel Jones third, and then Washington, their entire situation is well behind the other three teams. I think that's fair. I think that's how probably mostly the consensus would view this thing if you were just asking outside of... Giants Twitter, or Giants Nation, um, you know, experts who follow the other teams in the NFL. But as we always say, and as you've said a lot, Nick, and I agree with you, I, it's hard for me to trust experts outside the Giants and pining on the Giants or all these other teams when they don't have, the, they're not really watching the film. It's not their fault. Like who could ever watch 17 games a week on film or whatever it be, 16 games a week on film? It's not going to happen. Like no one has time for that. But I think that would be the consensus. My rankings are a little different. I'll start at the top. First overall for me is the Philadelphia Eagles with Jalen Hurts. I think when it comes for Hurts, what it comes down to for me, Hurts is basically the way I viewed him last season, a better version, a significantly better version of what Daniel Jones had to offer. He was more dynamic as a runner, is more dynamic as a runner. His processing took a much bigger jump than Jones. So Jones's jump took a nice uh, processing, took a nice jump too, for sure. Don't view that any other way. Don't hear that any other way. Don't construe that any other way. But what I saw from Hurts was a more consistent 
a barrage, I should say, of anticipatory throws and big-time throws. That's what he did a lot last year. You look at the Super Bowl, so many big-time anticipatory throws in that game. You look at the games against the Giants, that third and 11, he hit Quez Watkins on the out. I mean, that was a beautiful anticipatory throw. He stuck some tight window throws that were big-time throws. I think that was the biggest difference for me. He took such a big jump, and I didn't view Jalen Hurts that highly going into last season. I watched, I mean, you even think back to the game 2021 or, or yeah, 2021, where the Giants beat the Eagles in MetLife, like they really got the better of Hurts that game. And I felt like they beat him from a processing standpoint. I felt like they baited him into that long interception that McKinney had where he tried to hit that vertical. And overall, I felt like he they they played by Darnay Holmes, too, on that play. Yeah, yeah right. And overall, I'll say I this. I don't want to cut you off, but if Jalen Rager catches some of those passes yeah. that were dropped, it could have been different. It would have been different. The Giants would have lost that game for sure. Uh, and they got rid of Rager and they got in somebody who can catch all those passes. So they don't have to worry about that anymore. But I think even if you take, even if you factor in what Giants fans want to, you know, what the big time Jones fans want to lay on, which is Hurts has everything. He has this O line, he has all this true, but still you see just more consistency from a processing standpoint, more consistency from an anticipatory throwing standpoint, most importantly. And the first one you could say, well, it's easy to process when you have a good O line. The second one, anticipation, anticipatory throwing, that one comes down to the quarterback. The ball's out fast, you got to throw into space. You got to be on the same page as your receivers. You got to understand and hope they're going to be on the same page as you. I thought he made a big jump there. My second team I'm actually going with, Nick, and this one I battled back on fourth on for a while. This is my toughest pick. I'm going to go with Daniel Jones and the Giants slightly over Dak Prescott. So I thought about this a little bit more, and I feel like the I, what I just said about Jalen Hurts, where my opinion of him going into last season was lower, much significantly lower than it is going into this season. It's the opposite for me with Dak Prescott. This was not a good year for me with Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott, somebody I've defended a lot, a lot. I think he's a lot better than people thought at parts of his career. But at this stage of Dak Prescott's career, what he's come down to is this. So one stat I talked about on uh, CBS Sports Fantasy Football today, shout out if you're looking at the T-shirt, is why I'm lower on Dak Prescott for fantasy is he scored, I believe, 16 touchdowns in his four seasons on the ground before his ankle injury. Since then, in two seasons, Nick, he has just two rushing touchdowns. That component of his game is so minimized after that injury. And the Cowboys do not want him running as much. And they're not going to put him in harm's way in the red zone. So that takes away those zone reads. And it just, you know, makes it a lot the job a lot easier for the defenses in that confined space in the red zone. Because they're not using him like that anymore. And they're not going to, right? They signed him to a huge contract. He's had the major ankle injury. That I doubt they're going to go that pass. So now he's become a pure pocket passer, which is should be fine, right? Because he is a really good processor. And that is where he stands stands out most in this division. If you had to rank these quarterbacks just on mental processing, Nick, and how they see the field post-snap, Dak Prescott's number one for me, and I think he'd be number one for you as well. It's his calling card. It's the reason he's made himself into you know, a quarterback who got paid and has had some good moments in his career, albeit no special moments in the playoffs, but some good moments with really good stats at times, really good stretches of film as well. But now that he's resigned to just pure, more purely a pocket passer and doesn't really create off script, to me, if you're going to have that mold, you need to be really, really good finding consistent solutions on third downs. You need to hit big plays. And I don't really think he has a big time arm, Nick. He has an okay arm. It's a capable arm. It reminds me of like Daniel Jones's arm. And I would even make the case I like Daniel Jones' arm better than Dak Prescott, to be completely honest. I don't really, I think if you just look at, look at how they throw the football, I think Daniel Jones throws a better ball at pretty much all three levels, except for maybe the, the, the short level. Um, definitely over the top though. But so now he's a pocket presser pocket passer who needs to be a elite processor but he's now also turning the ball over a lot more than he had and that's the biggest factor for me 
He's t- you've taken away a lot of a lot of his athleticism. What he adds there, you've added you you've resigned him to being a pocket presser, processor. That's fine if he's good at processing. But now that he's turning the ball over at such a high rate, and even against the Giants when they had those bat a, a slew a defense full of backups that game, everyone was out for that game on Thanksgiving. He threw two interceptions. One was for Darius Williams. Like it's just. What he's become, I think Daniel Jones at this point offers more because Daniel Jones is finding solutions on third downs with his arm and with his legs. Daniel Jones protecting the football from being intercepted. And overall, while Daniel Jones may not see the field as well post-snap and maybe he's not going through a full progression of reads and maybe he's just kind of looking at half the field and taking what's there or running, it's still offering more to me right now than what Dak is offering and, and mostly moving forward. It's a projection as well. So a slight edge there. And then finally, last in the division is, is uh, Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. Though, I will say this. The one note on that team, I think they're going to be in a better quarterback situation this year than they were last year. I think both of those guys are better than people realize and will offer more than people realize. And to your point, Dan, Daniel Jones had a higher adjusted completion percentage. He had lower turnover worthy throws and he had a higher drop rate. Now for Dak Prescott, he had a much higher a dot at 8.6 yards Daniel Jones's was 6.5. That's pretty substantial. But when you look at a lot of those other advanced statistics, they're in Daniel Jones's favor. I maintain that Dak is still second, but like I said, throughout my analysis, I think it's much closer than we originally anticipated. Specifically after heading into last season, our opinions of Daniel Jones has drastically improved since the New York Giants got actual offensive coaches that should be coaching modern football. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to running back. I'll do my ranking first, and you can do yours. I've got the Giants first with Saquon Barkley, Eric Gray, Matt Breida, and Brightwell. I got the Cowboys second. This was a tougher debate for me, but I think Tony Pollard arguably is the second-best asset in this division at running back, so I put them there. I do like Deuce Vaughn. I think he's going to carve out a nice role in the NFL. Then I have Philly third. Bit of a combination here. I think DeAndre Swift has some talent there. I think Gainwell has a little bit. And then I think if he's healthy, Rashad Penny will offer. But there's so many question marks there from a health standpoint between Swift and Penny that I almost wanted to put them last. But I am personally not a big fan of Washington's running back situation. I think Rob Brian Robinson is a better back than I thought he was going to be. And I'll give you credit for that because you saw it on his Bama tape. But I do not like Antonio Gibson at all. I think he's a bad NFL running back. I think what we remember about Antonio Gibson is him scoring 14 touchdowns in fantasy football. But but the touchdowns regressed as they were expected to. And the big plays just stopped coming there. The, the big weapon he was supposed to be in the receiving game, it's just not there. It hasn't developed. So I know there's some talk from Rivera. They're going to use him a lot, blah, blah, blah. I'll believe it when I see it with Gibson. So to me, that's the worst unit of them all. And I think this is a clear area where the Giants do have an edge. I like the way you laid that out. Now, for me, Saquon Barkley is the best running back in this division by far if he's fully healthy. And when he signs and rejoins the New York Giants, I feel like the Giants are in a very good position. So I have the Giants number one as well. Saquon, Matt Breda, Eric Gray, Gary Brightwell. We already went through that. Second for me would be the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think the reason for that isn't just because they traded for DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift, we brought this up, Dan. He's kind of a frustrating running back because I feel like he has all of the athletic traits. He's one of the better receiving running backs in the league, but there's something between his ears in terms of processing that seemed to really piss off Deuce Staley through hard knocks. And then also just watching Lions games. Like, why the hell is DeAndre Swift not on the football field right now? And Jamal Williams is. We're not even just talking about on the goal line, even in other situations, third and six, third and five, all these important situations just did not not seem like he was feasting like you would imagine. And I don't think it's an indictment on Detroit's coaching staff. I think there was just something going on with him. But regardless of the fact, I still think he's a very good running back. But the reason why I have Philadelphia second is because of Rashad Penny. Because when Rashad Penny is healthy, he is 
arguably one of the better running backs in the league. At least he was with Seattle. Now he's going to be running behind a better offensive line with a more mobile quarterback who's going to put him into better positions to succeed. And I'm actually a little bit scared of Rashad Penny. I think that was a really good signing by Howie Roseman in Philadelphia. I think Kenneth Gainwell is also a, a solid you know, rotational back and come in and add some receiving value. And then, of course, Boston Scott is still there despite being a free agent. He comes back to the team and we know what he can do to the New York Giants just out of those two or three games a year. He ends up just absolutely earning his paycheck against Big Blue. And it's very, very upsetting. After that, I have Washington. And then I have Dallas. So for Washington, I like Brian Robinson. He's an above average physical type of running back. He's just not sexy and he's not exciting. But if you need like six yards, he can get you six yards. I think trying to tackle him is a very difficult assignment for a defender. And you could see it, man. He's just one of the more hard-nosed runners. I feel like he's going to have that like first rookie contract where the fans love him and he gets all the yardage that you need. But he's gonna it's going to be difficult for him to get a second contract because of all the wear and tear and all the physicality that he really brings to the football field every time he's out there. And I kind of agree with you on Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson, to me, you get him the football in space. Very exciting. Electric type of playmaker. Use him on screens. We've seen that throughout his career. But I also believe you're right because he had such a good first year and a second year, I think was also pretty solid. But then after that, you were expecting this jump and that jump never happened. It never ended up happening. And that was unfortunate for him. And then after that, you have Chris Rodriguez, Jonathan Williams, and Jarrett Patterson. But then the Dallas Cowboys. For me, the Dallas Cowboys, you have Tony Pollard. Zeke is not there anymore. Outside of Tony Pollard, I'm not scared about anybody else on that roster. Like Malik Davis, Deuce Vaughn's a cool story. Ronald Jones. That's all you're looking at. So as much as I like Tony Pollard, I don't know if Tony Pollard is going to be able to handle a full workload. I think Tony Pollard was best utilized when he had Ezekiel Elliott to handle those short yardage situations. So now that Tony Pollard is like the only dog in town, unless one of those other guys rise to the occasion, Dallas comes in fourth for me. That's fair. Give us your receiver rankings. Yeah, wide receivers. Philadelphia has to be number one. A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, just that alone is uh, number one and a number one B type of receiver, one A, one B, followed by the Washington Commanders. I almost said the football team, the Washington Commanders, Dan, because I think Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson are two of the younger. Uh, Terry McLaurin, I guess, is now intermediate age, but still they're, they're very good receivers, and that's overlooking the fact that they have Curtis Samuel as well on that roster. Deami Brown is your fourth receiver on that team. And he's just like, oh yeah, they had that Diami Brown guy who was a solid deep threat when he was at UNC. But Dotson, McLaurin, and Curtis Samuel is a very effective 11 personnel package. And I feel like we've noticed that throughout the recent seasons of the New York Giants playing them. So that's my number two, followed by Dallas with CD Lamb, who is probably, I wouldn't say he's the number one receiver in this division because you have AJ Brown over there with Philadelphia, but he's in at least the conversation, the addition of Brandon Cooks, even though he's older and hasn't really done much with Houston, I still think it's going to work out for them specifically because they didn't give up all that much to get Brandon Cooks. And you saw Michael Gallup another year removed from the knee injury that he suffered. So I think that's a solid 11 personnel package that you have behind that. I don't really love it. And then the Giants are last, but I love the Giants depth at the position because you have Jalen Hyatt that you just drafted. You have Isaiah Hodgins, Colin Johnson, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Jeff Smith, Wanda Robinson, Paris Campbell. We, we've gone through all this a lot. But I think the Giants have really good depth, but they're lacking the top end wide receivers right now. So I had to put them forth. Yeah, I think that's a fair ranking overall. We This is our first position group that we saw the same way. I have Philly first, of course. I mean, A.J. Brown and, and Devontae Smith, to me, is the premier wide receiver combo in the NFL right now. There's no combo I would take over that group because I'm that high on Devontae Smith. Yeah. Secondly, Washington. I mean, you look at those two guys, Terry McLaurin and Jahad Donson. 
I couldn't think of a more perfect fit for what Joe Shane and Brian Dable have been preaching, not only in what they're acquiring at the wide receiver position, but how the system works and what you need. It's those quick separators, those easy layup throw options. And both of those guys are amazing. And that now McLaurin can win at all three levels. And honestly, I feel like Deshaun Dotson showed some ability to win at all three levels too, or at least the first and second level in the intermediate range. But those are guys that just can get open and present you a target where they've created separation from the defensive back. It's early in the snap. Get rid of the football, move the chains, keep it going. Or sometimes they'll take it, as we've seen with Jahan Dobson especially, and McLaurin at times. They'll take it for a big gain after the catch as well. They have that ability too. So I thought that was the clear tier one for me, the Eagles and the command, or I'm sorry, yeah, the commanders at wide receiver. And then I have Dallas third, as, as you did. I am higher on Brandon Cooks than most. I think he's going to have a nice bounce back season there and really help that receiver group. So that kind of pushed it over the top. CeeDee Lamb as well. And then the Giants, like you mentioned, they have good depth. Um, Big, a big component of how high the ceiling could be for this receiver core will be if Jalen Hyatt can be as good as they think he can be in this system. Because if he is as fast as he is and he picks up at, and he really improves his route running, which is possible, right? He's raw, but it doesn't mean he can't do it. It mean he hasn't been asked to do it. If he becomes that, he has all the tools, in my opinion, because he's a longer player than your typical speedster. He, he like he can be a Deshaun Jackson for this offense. He can be better than that. He could be any of these McLaurin-type receivers if he can create separation at a consistent level, in addition to just winning on the vertical plane, which I think he can. And so, obviously, we won't know until he improves and gets with the coaching and gets on the same page as the quarterback. But I think there is a ceiling for him that you wouldn't say for every receiver taken in that range, typically. Um, but for him specifically, yes. So that's how it rounds out. I want to say one thing on Jahan yeah, Dotson, just because he was a rookie and I was high on him coming out of Penn State. Like, look, this guy isn't the biggest, but I think you laid it out perfectly. He would be the type of receiver that the New York Giants would have interest in because he understands how to get open. He understands how to release off the line of scrimmage. I think the one play, I think he was lined up against like Zion Gilbert, so take it for what it's worth. But the touchdown he had against the New York Giants on the uh, underneath over route that he released, he was the number two receiver, number three ran right up the seam and he just released right underneath that. How he stuttered to create that separation against Zion Gilbert was a very smooth, it was a kind of a savvy type of veteran move. Maybe it was just coached into him by Washington's coaching staff, but created that much extra separation. And Zion Gilbert opened his hips to allow Jahan Dotson to get underneath the safeties, caught the ball, and then took it up. I think it was like a 20-yard or 25-yard touchdown catch by Jahan Dotson. I just see the little subtleties that I feel like make wide receivers great within his game, so I kind of wanted to tip my cap to him. That's a great way to put it. It is, and that's exactly what we saw when we evaluated him at Penn State. It's the subtleties. We love that stuff. You and I have always been a big believer in these types of receivers. It's true. Like we watch, you knew I love Eli more. You love the Eli. It's those types of receivers that can just get open using the subtleties in their route running, the head shake, the head fake here, the head shake there, the ability to kind of get in and out of those breaks. It's such a smooth way. It's hard to it's hard to recreate, but it also makes it such it makes you become such an easy option for your quarterback and such a valuable option for your quarterback versus the bigger guys who, you know, can win away from their frame and sometimes win on the vertical plane as well, or sometimes box out the defensive backs. But it's are they open? And if not, does the quarterback trust them to get, you know, to throw the football in a tight window? And not, and that's not always the case. The quarterback is looking for no matter who your quarterback is, even Matthew Stafford in his prime. The quarterback would prefer you to be open rather than him to have to throw you open or rather than him to have to put the ball in a place where you can extend and catch it. They'd rather you be open. It makes it easier for them. And I think Dotson does a really good job of that. So moving on to the tight ends, the first position group or the second position group out of four we've done so far, where I do think the Giants have an edge and I put them number one here. 
Darren Waller, I think, is the best tight end in the division. And Daniel Bellinger is a player who I'm extremely high on moving forward. He's one of my favorite assets on the entire Giants roster, independent of any position. I think when it comes to Bellinger, doesn't have the hype yet. But if you look at it from just the easiest 30,000 foot view of it and just take a step back, you're looking at someone who's already a really proficient blocker, had a crazy good athletic profile coming out, which no one really thought about. Young age, young breakout age. And in addition to all of that, really good hands. Doesn't drop the passes. So, I mean, if you're looking for more, maybe it could be route running, right? Maybe you can get better in that regard. But it's nitpicking, in my opinion, for somebody who is so young in his career and is just going into year two. So having that one-two puts them first for me. I have the Eagles second here, Dallas Goddard. It'd be a close call for me between Goddard and Waller, even though I gave Waller best in the vision. I think it's a little bit closer than that because I really like Dallas Goddard's game. And I think he offers a little bit more as a blocker too. And the Eagles have a, f- a few guys behind him that are interesting. But number three for me would be the Dallas Cowboys there. And interesting, we mentioned Nick. Um, and obviously, this is not going to be their number one tight end anymore now that they made the decision to use a second-round pick on Luke Shoemaker. But Travis Kelsey did name. Uh, we talked about how Travis Kelsey and George Kittle were really high on Giants tight end Daniel Bellinger. Well, it was either Kelsey or Kittle who mentioned Jake Ferguson, the Dallas Cowboys second-year wide receiver. Uh, I'm sorry, tight end. Who, he, they, who he's really also really high on. Um, and he named him in the same uh, breath as Daniel Bellinger. So just something to keep an eye on there. And obviously last in the vision is Washington. The the, the commanders really need to reboot and, and re, retool there at the tight end position. Dan, what school did Jake Ferguson go to again? Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, so for, for me, I think the Giants have two of the top three tight ends in the division with yeah. Daniel Bellinger and Darren Waller being arguably number one. I think Dallas Goddard is a, it's, it's a good conversation. I think Dallas Goddard's a better blocker than Darren Waller. I think Darren Waller offers a lot more as a receiver and Dallas Goddard is still a very good receiving tight end. So it says how much he could even be better than a player like Dallas Goddard. So for me, the giants are clear cut number one in this argument. And then I think Philadelphia, just because they have Dallas Goddard behind Dallas Goddard, you have like Grant Calcaterra entering his second season, Jack Stoll. They've signed Dan Arnold, Tyree Jackson, the former Buffalo quarterback has been there for a couple of years now. I don't think Philly has a bad tight end room. And they're also a team that can align in 10 personnel if they wanted to, even though you want to get Dallas Goddard out there, spread everything out and then work the zone read game with Jalen Hurts. They have that benefit. After that, it is Dallas. They have three young tight ends who at least are intriguing with Jake Ferguson, Luke Shoemaker, who they just drafted in the second round, and then Peyton Hendershot, who also had a solid season, but they're all pretty inexperienced players right now. So they come in third, and then Washington, I don't know what you're going to get from Logan Thomas, who is still on their roster. John Bates, I like him as a blocker, doesn't really offer that much as a receiver. And you have, who else? Cole Turner, who they drafted in the fifth round, 2022, more of a receiving guy. So I don't really love Washington's tight end situation. They're clearly in last place, but I'm really, really impressed with what the Giants have in terms of their 12 personnel package. It's something we've talked about for a while, and I think Darren Waller and Daniel Bellinger, that's an excellent one-two punch, because you have a really good blocker who can catch, and then you have a mismatch nightmare in Darren Waller. So I love the position the Giants have right now at tight end. Yeah, me too. It's a really good spot for the Giants. Okay, next moving on, we're going to break the offensive line down by three positions. We'll start with offensive guard here, Nick. I started the last one, so why don't we? Why don't you give me your ranking? So we were the same on wide receiver and tight end, correct? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if we are also the same on guard. I have it: Dallas, Philly, New York Giants, Washington. 
For the Dallas Cowboys, you have Tyler Smith. That's who I put at guard. That's just how our lads has him down. He might end up playing tackle. It depends on the other Smith, Tyrone Smith. So it's a little bit, a little bit unpredictable right now on, on how that depth chart's going to shake out. So I put Tyler Smith at left guard and then Zach Martin. And if you're telling me Zach Martin and Tyler Smith are the two guards, they're more than likely going to be the best guards in the division, especially when you look over at Philly, who I had at number two, they lost Isaac Siamalu. You have Landon Dickerson, who has had injury issues dating back to his time at Florida State before he even went to Alabama. But when he's out there, he's really solid. And then you also have Tyler Steen, who they're looking to plug in, the kid they drafted in the third round out of Alabama. He was a tackle in college. He projects well to playing guard, but I still think that's a little bit of a question mark. I like Dickerson enough, and I trust Jeff Statlin to develop a player like Tyler Steen well enough to where I think they're going to be really respectable guard tandem. But I had them as number two ahead of the New York Giants with Ben Bredesen, Josh Zudu, Mark Lewinsky. Have that kind of trio right there of guards. Even if the Giants have the the best outcome with that offensive line, I, I, I still question that if it would be better than a Tyler Steen, Landon Dixon. I think it's at least up for debate depending on if Josh Azudu is healthy enough or if he takes the steps and what happens with Ben Bredesen. Mark Lewinsky, I think he's going to start this year. I'm not too high on him in pass protection. I think he's an underrated run blocker. We've kind of been over that a little bit, but I think Mark Lewinsky starting might not be your ideal situation. And although I think that's what's going to happen this season. And then I have the Washington Commanders last with Sam Cosme, who was a tackle at Texas, who they tried to tackle, didn't work out. Now they're kicking them inside to right guard. And then Chris Paul, who was a seventh round pick last year. They also have Sadiq Charles, the LSU kid, who was a fourth round pick back in 2020, who might factor into the equation. But all in all, I look at Washington's guard situation. And if I was a Washington fan, I'd be pretty upset. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, this is the same rankings I have for the guard position, and this is the fourth out of five positions so far where we have Washington dead last out of the four. Just something interesting to note. The only other team was the Giants there. The Giants also were first in two position groups out of these five. Dallas is my first. I think Tyron Smith is, is should be healthy for the season, Nick, so I think the plan is to be Tyler Smith there at left guard where he played better last season and is really, I mean, he played pretty damn good at tackle. Like that's he's better than Evan Neal. If we're gonna call it considerably better than Evan Neal last year. They really nailed that draft pick, the Cowboys. He was discussed as a borderline round two, round one. They said, No, no, no. We know how to evaluate offensive linemen. They've done a good job drafting linemen, man. Even that that goes to the next player, Zach Martin, who's the best guard in football, probably still. I mean, some might say Quinn and Nelson. I mean, there's probably a ton of players now who can be in the conversation, but I see Zach Martin is still the best because he's the most consistent when he's on the field. He never gives you bad snaps, really. Um, um, so they have, in my opinion, two potentially like Tyler Smith could work his way into the top 12, top 15 at, at the guard position this year. So they're the clear cut favorite for me in this division. 
Cowboys have a bit of an edge. Two for me was the Eagles as well. For the Eagles, I like Landon Dickerson a lot when he's on the field, so I would put him even a little bit above Tyler Smith. Uh, he offered them a lot in the run game specifically. Tyler Steen was a player I liked a lot watching him. Late in the process, I came on to him. I'm like, this is another guy who can fit into my mold of like, Interior offensive lineman, really good on the move, would fit a Giants-style power gap system. But he's going to play with, with the Eagles, who are also going to run a lot of that system, type of system and type of blocking schemes. And a team that also relies on and benefits from offensive linemen who can move well. That's been their MO forever, the Eagles. is why they're such a good team. So I think he has a chance to fit in really well there. So I think that probably is where the teardrop goes for me. The Cowboys and Eagles first and second. Then third, after a teardrop, would be the Giants just because – and you'd already discussed our players, and, we, and we're going to do that a bunch in the offseason, so I don't have to. But really, here it's, it comes down to just where the Washington football team is at right now on the offensive line in general for me because I really don't love what they've done at tackle, but also on the interior offensive line. like I think Braden Daniels, who they drafted at Utah, who I really liked, will probably – they have him listed at left tackle right now, our lads. I think he'll probably convert and kick inside and maybe even win that left guard job straight up. But even if you have him converting positions, which could take some time to be effective at the NFL level, especially coming from a Pac-12, then you have Cosme as well who I didn't really like at tackle, was really, really bad at tackle for them, and they're going to hope he's better at guard. It's just not a position you want to be in at guard whatsoever here. It reminds me where the Giants were at at center prior to the 2020 season or maybe in 2021 where Gettleman traded for the kid from uh, the Bengals, Billy Price, the, bu the bus from yep. the Bengals. Yeah, so it's just a bad position to be in. And so to me, they're the clear worst in the division. Moving on, I'll tackle the center position first and see if our rankings are similar on this one as well. We've actually been three in a row of same rankings. I have the Eagles first, obviously, Jason Kelsey, generational center, in my opinion, guaranteed Hall of Famer, the best center I've ever watched, still playing at a pretty high level. I actually have the Giants second here at center with John Michael Schmitz. I just have a, I maybe call it wishful thinking, whatever it may be, but I think my John Michael Schmitz could, should be the second best center in this division right away because in my third team here is actually Washington with Nick Gates, who we know Nick Gates can offer you a baseline level of pretty average to above average center play. He's going to help out at all times. He's going to be a nasty player. I'm kind of hoping John Michael Schmitz is a level above that in year one. If he's not, I think it's going to be a little disappointing, to be honest with you, Nick, even in year one, especially because we've seen so many centers recently in the NFL take well and play well early. McCoy from the Saints back in the day and obviously more, you know, astutely or more pronounced would be um, Creed Humphrey on Kansas City who just hit the ground running as a great center. I think it's one position where you can do that. So I will be disappointed if we look back on this and Gates is, has a better season than John Michael Schmitz. But for now, I'm going to yeah. say I trust John Michael Schmitz to be the second best center in the division. Then finally for me would be Tyler Biotish, uh, the Wisconsin native. I had him dead last. Yeah, Dan, we have the same exact rankings. I debated putting Biotish above Nick Gates, but I like Ricky Stromberg being behind Nick Gates. So for that fact, I, uh, I ended up going with the Washington Commanders. Dude, you want to know a crazy stat about Jason Kelsey, who has over 12,000 snaps in his career? This guy has 10 seasons with over 1,000 snaps playing at center. That is an insane number. And the only season where it's under 835 was in 2012 when he only played 136. This guy might go down as the best center of all time, especially now that he's won a Super Bowl. He's like a personality right. and like everyone knows him and his brother is Travis Kelsey. And he's just so damn consistent. The, like we said on another podcast, I think the only time I've ever really seen this guy struggle was against 94, Dalvin Tomlinson. That's like the one guy. So for me, man, easy Philadelphia number one. I also had the New York Giants number two with... John Michael Schmitz. 
I don't like anything really behind John Michael Schmitz. I don't know who's going to be the backup going into the season. I think it's probably going to be Ben Bredesen, who might be the starter at left guard. So that's not a great situation. There definitely should be a higher bar for a player like that than a Nick Gates and a Ricky Stromberg. I significantly liked John Michael Schmitz better than Stromberg coming out of the draft. And then Nick Gates, look, I love his story. I, I loved his mentality, his physicality, his I'm going to eat your face off Aaron Donald, all the stuff that he did. But in terms of play, he was only average. I expect John Michael Schmitz to be above average. So that's why I have the New York Giants at two and then Washington three, Dallas four. I like it. All right, let's move on to offensive tackle here. You could tackle this one first since I took center. For the offensive tackle position, Philadelphia has to be number one. You have Jordan Maialata, some guy you rugby player you got in the seventh round. Just insane that Jeff Stoutland's able to develop. It's so freaking frustrating. Then Lane Johnson, who you drafted in the top five, who ends up just playing out of his mind for his entire career out of Oklahoma. So Philadelphia, they might have the top tackles in the league, let alone the division. So they're clear cut ahead of everyone else in this division. I actually had the New York Giants at number two, and I don't even think it's a great situation specifically with Evan Neal, but Andrew Thomas to me is a top three tackle in the league. I think you can argue top two possibly. So the New York Giants are in that conversation. It's just you need to see the pedigree that we invested in Evan Neal. You need to see that flourish. And we're just not 100% certain if that will. I remain cautiously optimistic that it will with Evan Neal just because of his character and his work ethic. And I know he's putting in the work right now and it's hard to transition from college football, even though it was Alabama to the NFL, especially when you never really had any continuity at a position when you were in college. Evan Neal played a bunch of different positions. So New York Giants are number two for me. Number three is going to have to be the Dallas Cowboys with Tyron Smith, who was old and never really healthy, but when he is healthy, he's still above average tackle in the league. It's kind of hard to say because last year he was out for the majority of the season. And then Terrence Steele, who's that guy you always look at on the depth chart. You're like, ah, Terrence Steele, whatever. But it's not like when the Giants are going up against him, they take advantage of him. So he seems yeah. to be a solid enough tackle, in my opinion. And then, again, Washington ends up rounding out the bottom because they have Andrew Wiley, who started for the Kansas City Chiefs, I believe, last year. So that could be an upgrade over what they had last year. And then Charles Leno Jr., who has been there for a little bit now, kind of a veteran guy, respectable. I think he's a team captain. Kayvon Thibodeau beat him around the edge for the strip sack fumble touchdown against Taylor Heineke. I don't think it's the worst tackle situation in the league, but it's definitely not as good as the rest of the NFC East. So Washington comes in last for me. We have the same rankings again here, Nick. Um, Look, you know what I find interesting? We're going to do like what we learned takeaways at the end of this from doing this exercise. because I think that's a cool part, but I'll spoil one of the things that I learned already. It's odd to me. Oh, just going through the offense. We're almost through the entire offense here. This is the last position we're doing. How far behind Washington seems to be for a team that literally went to the brink with the Giants last year in all the games they played. They tied one and the Giants won one. And the one the Giants won, I believe they had zero offensive touchdowns, right? That was the one where Kevon yeah. Thibodeau had the sack fumble touchdown. And Washington was like vying for that last playoff spot for a little while. The Giants, Giants pulled ahead at the end and kind of locked in the five. But it's interesting to me how they this roster just really does not look good at all on paper, at least offensively. We're about to get to the defense, so maybe Washington can kind of recover there um, and put themselves sure back in the mix. Yeah, but it's just odd to me, man, because like they're dead. They're coming in dead last now in what one, two, three, four, five, five of the of the seven positions we profiled on offense, their last, um, they only the other 18 points a game last year. It was like right. bottom third. I think it was like 25th or something, but I feel, how much of the giants average per game? I think they weren't too much higher, right? Yeah. Like 21 something, which right. was 18th. And that's despite having a lot more talent. I feel like at running back tight end, uh, so it'll, and, and uh, of course on the offensive line, I mean, the giants seem to be in a much better position than the offensive line. Just go into a little bit of this. 
it's impossible not to put the Eagles one here as much as I, I might have some hope from Evan Neal. It's like right now the Eagles have the best right tackle in football and one of the five best left tackles. So to me, the five big five right now in the NFL, or I should say the, the four best, the, the fifth guy I was thinking of is Tristan Wirfs who plays right tackle. But I think a fully healthy Tristan Wirfs is right in the mix is best, let's just say overall tackle in the NFL. But for me right now, for my money, it's Andrew Thomas for the Giants, Jordan Maialata of the Eagles, who is amazing despite being a seventh round pick. Uh, Laramie Tunsil of the Texans and then Trent Williams. And so they have two of those two of probably the best six or seven offensive linemen in the entire NFL starting on one roster. The Giants have one of those guys and Andrew Thomas, but Evan Neal, not so sure yet by the numbers and by the film, Evan Neal was actually one of the worst starting tackles in the NFL last year. We don't expect that to happen again in, in year two, but let's say he even takes a huge jump, even a huge jump might put him in the middle of the pack. And that won't put them in the mix to compete with the Eagles. So there really is a teardrop from the Eagles down to the Giants, my second team. Dallas is third. Tyron Smith is just older. And at this point, Nick, I just get the feeling like injuries are going to be a part of the rest of his career just because it's the back. The back has been like his biggest source of injuries. I, yeah. I don't know if backs just heal. I feel like when you start getting back injuries at an older age, I'm just thinking about myself, man. I play golf now and my back sore immediately. And I'm golf. like, I playing this there you go. another wrong? one. Yeah. I'm playing this sport wrong every single time I play. My back is sore. I can't imagine playing offensive tackle with a back issue. So I'll put them third. Obviously, no one can go behind Washington in fourth. I mean, look at this Washington situation. They have Charles Leno as their starting left tackle, dude. And they have Andrew Wiley from the Chiefs as their starting right tackle. Like, that is a sad, sad tackle combination. It is two veteran players with zero upside. They're obviously here because of their floor. And Washington's just hoping they won't F up and they'll be be like lose slowly, as you sometimes like to say. This is the lose slowly duo right here in Washington. It's just it, it's there's no upside there between Charles Leno, right? Like, where's the upside? You expected Samuel Cosme to yes. turn into a starter when you drafted him in the top, I think, 60 or whatever you drafted him in a couple of years ago. Was that like 2021? Yep. It's better, though, than, let's say, Eric Flowers and Bobby Hart, who possibly had upside, but never developed it, never realized it. That and was the Eli lose Man quickly crew. That was a lose very quickly. Crew. It was not slow quickly. enough. Flowers case, lose early, often, and quickly, and never really come anywhere close to realizing your physical upside. But that's going to wrap up the offensive side of the ball. One, and at one the end stat of, on offense yeah. I felt like was interesting that I just uh, came across. I wanted to say, so take this for what it's worth, but according to pro football reference, expected points contributed by rushing offenses, the top two teams, Philadelphia Eagles were number one by far, but the giants were actually second, a couple points above the Chicago bears. So, the New York Giants came in second there, and I think a big reason why isn't just because of Saquon Barkley, but it's also because of Daniel Jones, and we always had to factor that in, and just because I had Daniel Jones third, I wanted to make sure I got that stat out there because I do believe it is imperative to the success of the Giants in general to get Daniel Jones, get eight going because it keeps defenses honest and it really stresses them. True. Good point. Let's flip to the defense side of the ball here, Nick. Start with the interior defensive line, the strongest unit collectively in the entire <laughs> NFC East across the board with these four teams. I have the Giants first here on the interior defensive line with Leonard Williams, Ashawn Robinson, Dexter Lawrence, and Nacho. Dexter Lawrence right now might be the second best interior defensive lineman in football. I might take him over Jeffrey Simmons and Chris Jones. I think I would have to if he plays the way he played last year. I mean, you just think about how dominant he was on a week-to-week -week basis with no drop-off at all. The only game he wasn't dominant was against the Eagles and Jason Kelsey um, in those few games. But other than that, just a dominant week-after-week -week performance. Number two for me was interesting because there's so much talent you can go a lot of ways. 
I actually went with the Eagles here over Washington for number two, Nick. Um, I just look at this unit and I think there's a lot more upside with the Eagles. And to be frank, Nick, now this is just upside and we're just talking ceiling for a second, but honestly, you can make the case. The Eagles have the biggest ceiling on the tier depths line over the giants right now. They're not better. And so they shouldn't be ranked higher, but they have Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter on this roster. A lot of people felt like in the last two classes, those might've been the best overall players in each class, regardless of position. They didn't go one or two. They both fell one due to like weight issues and not playing a lot of snaps and Jordan Davis. And he was injured his whole first year. So we really don't know what he's capable of, what he can be. And then Jalen Carter, who just like some off field stuff that might end up being nothing now that he's on the Eagles. And so you have all that plus Fletcher clocks plus Milton Williams, who is a surprisingly a really good player. They got him in the third round. I thought it was a reach by them at the time, man. And Nope, they found the right role for him. He's just a gap shooter and he shoots really well in that system. And there's so many other bodies around that people have to count for that Milton Williams can shoot every time and pretty much get free. A lot of the times that's four players here. So to me, honestly, I think the Eagles are, now that I go over it, or could be close to be in the Giants range here for one. I'm still going to give the Giants one because it's more realized instead of like potential there with the Giants. And Dexter Lawrence is so good. But I did give the Eagles the slight edge over Washington, who is also an elite interior defensive line. <laughs> Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, you know, some other players behind them who I don't know, I, I don't I haven't followed as well. So you might be able to offer a little bit more on Mathis has flashed a little bit, but either way, just having Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne as your one, two, there is another elite group. And some might say right now they're better than the Eagles. I understand that uh, just for me, I'm going to go with the upside there. And then finally Dallas rounds out the, uh, the group third, but they have added talent there too. Mozzie Smith, their first round pick is a big dude who can move. Uh, Osa Adugazua, like his brother didn't work out for the Giants. He's a much better player than his brother, and he's got none of the off-field concerns either. So that's a decent unit as well there. So really just strong across the board in the NFC East on the interior defensive line. I'd like to say the New York Giants are significantly above all these other teams. And in any other division, I may be able to say that, but you can't right now with Philadelphia and Washington. And I actually have Washington second. And I agree with you. I think Philadelphia could be won by the end of the season, by midseason, if Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis really come along. But that hasn't happened yet. But I still think it can. So I'm really scared of Philadelphia. And even though I have them third, I still have the utmost respect for them. And they still could be a top five unit in the entire league. That's just how crazy the NFC East is right now. But for me, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Raheem Nunez, Rochez, and Ashawn Robinson is a disgusting interior defensive line room. Those are four legit starters that you have, and you can rotate them. I think the New York Giants are in a very good position. I think Joe Shane did an excellent job doing what he helped Brandon Bean do up in Buffalo, was add big bodies, good run defenders, physical long players to the interior defensive line. Very excited about what the New York Giants can do. And then number two, I just have a lot of respect for Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. And behind them, look, Fedarian Mathis, he had good I would say high floor college tape when he was at Alabama. John Ridgeway was a transfer into Arkansas who I don't know if he did much this last season. I haven't covered him, but at Arkansas, he was a solid player. I can't remember the school that he went to before that, but there's not a ton of depth behind those, but I still have them number two, just because I have that much respect. And I've seen Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen terrorize the New York giants for years now, but right behind them, Philadelphia, just insane. Everybody that they have Jalen Carter, Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, Milton Williams, Marlon Tua, Tua Poloto as well as back there. Like that's a, a very yeah. stout room. It's a very scary room. And I think Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis could really take the NFC East by storm if they really start to actualize a talent that we saw at Georgia. So it's a it's not a great situation for the Giants. And then Dallas, I have significantly behind these three teams. I like Mozzie Smith, but he's a rookie coming in, first round pick. I think he's going to be a good player. Osa, I felt like he's had a good first two years in the season since he was a third round pick. 
I think that was, yeah, in 2021. And then behind that, you have Neville Gallimore, Quentin Bohannon, Mr. Hankins, a bunch of players like that. So I'm not too thrilled about their interior defensive line room, but I also look at their defense. I see who their defensive coordinator is in Dan Quinn. I see Micah Parsons there, and I say, it's going to work out. It's going to be fine. But Wayne, relative to the rest of the division, I still think they're clearly fourth. Let's move on to edge here, Nick. Give us your edge rankings. Yeah, for me, edge, I considered Micah Parsons as an edge rusher here. So clearly Dallas Cowboys ended up being one. I shouldn't even say clearly because Philadelphia is right behind them with guys like Brandon Graham. You have Josh Sweat. You have Derek Barnett. You have Hassan Reddick. You have just an insane edge room there. But just the fact that Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence are on the Dallas Cowboys led me to say Dallas is going to be number one, but I can easily be swayed to thinking it's Philadelphia. That's just how stacked both of those rooms are. Washington for me was third. Look, Chase Young is coming off of a serious injury, Dan. I don't know how effective he's going to be. We know the talent that he had at Ohio State. We saw it a little bit early. We saw how the Giants and Jason Garrett game-planned against him, and people were like, oh, Andrew Thomas is shutting him out. It's like, yeah, kind of, but at the same time, the Giants are doing everything in their power to avoid Chase Young. Like That's what that game plan was. We can go back and watch the tape. But Montez Sweat is a very good football player as well, and they still have him. So for Washington to come in third, it just also speaks to the talent of the edge position here at the NFC East. And behind them, they have let's see uh james smith williams kj henry who they drafted out of clemson casey two hill fa obata so i don't really know much about obata james smith williams i feel like he was a, a solid little bit player they had kj henry a lot of people were buzzing about but not a ton of depth behind those two top dogs see what chase young can offer them and then i have the giants last but i think the giants similar to what we were talking about with philadelphia's interior defensive line dan have a ton of potential i think Kayvon Thibodeau and Azizo Jolari by midseason, we could be like, yeah, they're definitely not last anymore. We just haven't seen it yet materialize on the football field at a consistent rate. So that's why I have the Giants last. Yeah, I think that's fair. I have the same exact rankings as you again at edge. So we're not finding too much differences right now in our rankings, Nick. So maybe not the best podcast fodder to not find differences in, in debates, but it, it's it's hard to see the division in a different way when, when you, when you follow it this closely. Um, and I would say Dallas is one for me because of Micah Parsons. That's the real reason here. And I would say the second best edge rusher in this division is Hassan Reddick. He's become one of the best in the NFL at winning up the arc with that unique edge bend that he has. So there's two elite pass rushers in the division as far as I'm concerned, and a lot of contenders behind them. So like you said, Demarcus Lawrence still a strong player. The trio of Eagles you mentioned outside of Hassan Reddick are all really good players. Montez Sweat is a really good player. Chase Young, I guess, more of an unknown at this point because of the injury. But if he's healthy, he's going to be an impact player. And the Giants have a similar type situation with Zizo Jolari as far as the health versus impact goes. And Gavon Thibodeau, who at worst is a pretty damn good player, I think he's going to be borderline elite in his second year. So this is a much better division than what I originally thought from a pass rushing standpoint. There's a really strong contingent of edge rushers and interior defensive linemen in this division. It's clear all these teams believe in the trenches. All these teams believe in rushing in the passer and how important pass rush is. It makes it a lot more stressful to play quarterback in this division for sure. Um, but right now, the Giants are going to be last on this list, but it's not a bad last. It's like a last on this list maybe out of these four teams, but they'd probably be more mid-pack against the NFL. I would imagine so. Let's go on to linebacker. I'll start linebacker. Actually, I had the Giants first year at linebacker, Nick. Nice. I think this is a really, 
really bad division for linebackers. You could just tell how similar these teams are built. And maybe it is because they're competing against each other every year and they're trying to mold these teams to, to play each other. But there's just been so few investments in the linebacker position across the division. The Giants right now have the biggest investment, in my opinion. You can make the case Washington has it with Jamin Davis, first-round pick. I'll say Bobby O'Karake and that massive contract they gave him is the best, the biggest investment by far in this division at the linebacker position. And in addition to that, and obviously I'm not counting Micah Parsons here for Dallas. I'm putting him in edge only here. Can't put him in both. That's like cheating. But Bobby O'Karake to me is going to be the most consistent linebacker in this division overall. He has the best sideline to sideline ability. Um, and he can play the mic and he can potentially, you know, wear that green dot and be a difference maker from that standpoint versus Jamin Davis, who is not, I'm not, I'm not sure they're expecting to be in that role. So Washington is second. Um, then I go to Dallas. I, I don't really see, like, I don't know too much about Dallas. I know they got some decent contribution from Jabril, Jabril Cox. Damone Clark is somebody who I liked a lot, fell because of injuries. And then they're bringing back Leighton Vanderash, who is a solid player at this point in his career. I don't think he's the same kind of impact player he was. I think he and that entire linebacker unit benefits from Dan Quinn's scheme and the, most importantly benefits from the defensive front in front of them. So I put them there only because the Eagles, uh, it's hard to find anything I really like at linebacker. Like, Nicobe Dean could be good, I guess. He was good in college. Um, but I always felt like his game was more suited for college. So I'm not just expecting him to be great if healthy because I know partially why he felt the third round was because of health. Um, and they obviously lost TJ Edwards, which was a big loss for them. And they didn't really do too much to replace him. So I'm going to go Eagles last here. For me, I have the Eagles last as well. But I have Dallas at number one. And for me, okay. it comes down to the fact that I agree. I think Bobby O'Karake might be the best linebacker in this division if you remove Michael Parsons from the equation. But next to Bobby O'Karake, and I have the Giants second, I don't really know what's going on. No one really does. Is it Darian Beavers? Yeah. Is it Micah McFadden? Is it Gerard Davis? We're not really 100% sure. And it's going to be a little bit of a an interesting, I guess, storyline heading into training camp and seeing what's going to happen. is going to be one of the most talked about things because it's a starting position in base personnel. It's a starting position in nickel to have who the hell is going to be out there yeah. in at the linebacker position next to Bobby Okereke. So I have the Giants at second. And I just have Leighton Vander Esch, Damone Clark, Jabril Cox, DeMarvian Overshone. I have that quadrant of players ahead of whoever the hell the Giants have behind Bobby Okereke. So for that reason, I put Dallas above. I think Van Der Esch, look, he might not have lived up to his first round hype, at least beyond the 2018 season when he was picked, his rookie year. But I still think he's been a solid player, a very annoying player for the New York Giants. I always feel like he's making plays against us, and I trust in the athletic ability of the other three linebackers that I named. So that's why I have Dallas above him. And in terms of Washington, I have them above Philadelphia, probably not by much. Look, they did spend the first-round pick on Jamin Davis. I only really watch Washington when they play the New York Giants, but I don't really see Jamin Davis making a huge impact for that team, right? I, it was always that other linebacker who's no longer on the team anymore, and, and his name is escaping Bostic, me. yeah. No, not Bob. Well, Bostic just killed the New York Giants, the but Giants. it was uh, another player who was on the team. I, I don't know. <laughs> we always got him confused with David Mayo when he was out there, who's still on this roster somehow. But uh, either way, he was always the player that jumped out to me on film. And then it was John Bostic. It was never Jamin Davis. But right. regardless of the fact, Jamin Davis is still, we know, an athletic freak with a ton of upside. So I had them above Philadelphia because I don't know what the hell's going on with Philadelphia behind N'Kobe Dean, who I, I did like in college, but he's severely undersized. He was a product of the Bulldog scheme at the time. I still think he can ascend that and overcome that, but we haven't seen it quite yet. So that's why I have Philly last. And also, Philly hasn't been last yet, have they? So you know what? Screw them. Yeah, yeah, they did get last at some point. This is their first last. Um, let's go on to corner. Give me your corner rankings. 
Yeah. So for cornerback, this one was difficult. This is another division just filled with a lot of cornerback talent, some old, some young. I actually had Dallas number one because remember Dallas, and this was like a low key move that they made. They traded for Stefan Gilmore. And I'm like, what the hell, man? Stefan Gilmore still has a lot of good football left to play. So you combine that with Trevon Diggs. I think that's a really solid one, two punch. And then you also factor in the fact they have Jordan Lewis, who they draft in the third round of the 2017 draft out of Michigan, who is still a pretty damn good slot defender, like better than probably Darnay Holmes and some of the slot guys, the giants have had recently. So for that reason, I had Dallas number one. Close behind them, though, was Philadelphia because they have Avante Maddox in as a nickel, who I think is a really good football player. But the main reason is Darius Slay, who they were able to retain, and then James Bradbury, who they were able to retain. And we thought both of those guys might be gone. <laughs> They're not. They're both back for another season. They're both getting a little bit old. They brought in Keely Ringo in the fourth round. We remember Grady Williams is on that team now. So they have some young guys who could possibly step up, Mario Goodrich. But the combination of Darius Slay and James Bradbury is still a very good combination until it proves otherwise. Then behind that is the New York Giants. Adoree Jackson, Deontay Banks. I, I like both of these players. I wish they had more of a, a track record of coming away with turnovers. I don't, neither of them really do, at least in college, Deontay Banks didn't. That could change in the NFL. Dory Jackson has never been a pick magnet. But I think in terms of man coverage and just blanketing receivers, the Giants have a nice edge there. I think they're both very good football players. It remains kind of a question of what the hell is going on in the slot. If it's not Darnay Holmes, he's more than likely going to be cut because I think the Giants can save like $2.7 million or something like that if they end up releasing him. So that should be an interesting battle in training camp as well. A lot of young guys on the roster. We're going to talk about it a lot through the offseason. I don't need to spend too much time on that, but I have the Giants third. And then four. I like their secondary. I like their cornerbacks, but they're all just young, improving guys like Jartavis Martin, who was one of my favorites in the draft. Emmanuel Forbes, who was one of my favorites in the draft. Benjamin St. Juiced has, has played solid football since he's come into the league when he's healthy out there. And then Kendall Fuller, who is a savvy veteran. I think that's a good cornerback group for Jack Del Rio in that defense. But I just think the other three teams are better. So Washington comes in last again. Yeah, I think that Washington also came in last for me, though. I do like Forbes. You've you've put me on to him enough. And I think that it's an interesting unit, especially as it fits that system specifically. But versus these other three teams, I think they were clearly behind the Washington football team. I had the Giants first, honestly, because I, in my estimation, from what I've seen, at least on film, Trayvon Diggs is a little bit overrated as a corner. I think he does come away with a lot of interceptions and that kind of flashes his name in the, in the, and he, and last year he finally had better stats as far as like coverage yards allowed per snap and, and catches yeah. allowed per snap. So he did take a jump last year, but his 2021 season to me was insanely overrated and just based pu almost purely on the interceptions. He's a gambling type corner. He's good. Um, Outside of Trayvon Diggs, Jordan Lewis is probably the, the player that gets me most excited about. So for the Giants, I think they have Gilmore. a chance. Stephon Gilmore, I still think, can play football, obviously. But I, I think at this stage of his career, he's. I would personally hope that Deontay Banks can improve and get better than him by the end of the season. That's kind of the where I'm at with that because I think Adoree Jackson, a healthy Adoree Jackson, to me, I'd rather have Adoree. The if they're both healthy. I'd personally rather have a Dory Jackson than Trayvon Diggs, just my style corner better. I'd rather less the gambling type. I'd rather the guy who's a little bit stickier in coverage, and Dory really was during all of his games with the Giants until the injury. So I kind of think there's more upside there with the one-two there, and I think Fordo Flock can be what you know up to the level Jordan Lewis gives the, the Cowboys, maybe more because he's a little longer and more fluid. So I like the Giants first here. Eagles come in third for me. Dallas is second. Just because I think we saw signs last year of James Bradbury starting to take a step back. And could it all collapse at some point for Bradbury? I think it's possible because right now with Bradbury, I think he's being held up by the system he plays in and how well of a fit he is. But we saw multiple times last year, the Giants, who didn't even really have good receivers. Most would rank them worst or close to dead last in the NFL. 
beat Bradbury on the vertical plane. Hodgins beat him on a double move. Jones didn't see it. Jones didn't throw it. And I believe Slayton also beat him in another game on a double move that Jones didn't throw and Jones didn't, Jones didn't see Jones didn't throw. But the fact that he's getting beat on the vertical plane by Isaiah Hodgins is not a great sign for him moving forward. And I think he's going to get picked on more and more this season, Bradbury, and could become a major liability for the Eagles. Their only liability really on that defense. So that kind of dropped them off. Slay's also an older corner back there as well. And then finally, Washington was last. Look, they have some talent there, but right now, compared to the rest of this division, it seems like they're a step behind. I think that's a good assessment. I still maintain Dallas number one, but I think you make a good argument. If you had to pick one cornerback in the division, Dan, who do you think it would be going forward even? Because I think that's a pretty good argument. Deontay Banks could be in the conversation there. I, I still think it's probably Trayvon Diggs. It's probably who I'm going to go with. So let's go with going forward. And then let's also go with just for the 2023 season. For 2023 season, I'm going to go with Dory Jackson. This is assuming health for all players. Yes. Um, moving forward, I think you got to go Trayvon Diggs. He did take a step forward, like I said, in some of those those stats that I'm looking for, coverage yards allowed and receptions allowed per snap. He was a better actual cover corner last year. But Banks is certainly in the mix. I think Banks is in the mix, too. And then you look at Philadelphia, everyone thinks about their corners. We're not choosing Darius Lane. We're not choosing James Bradbury because they're both long in the tooth. Right. James Bradbury is going to be 30 years old come training camp. He turns 30 the beginning of August. And you're right. He was beat several times during the Giants games. And I know it's crazy to say because the Giants were down like 21 nothing in these affairs. But I'm sure he didn't want to get beat deep. He was sitting on a lot of stuff, though. I do wonder how much of that was him sitting on stuff, which we also saw manifest in the divisional game because he sat on the route and... He was right where the football was sure. going. Darius Slayton flowed away from the play, and then the blitz went through the, I think, B gap, and he was just sitting there waiting. So I'm wondering how many of those was him being like, hey, I'm going to bite on every double move just because I know how this offense operates. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's wrap this up with safety and then take, uh, go into some overall takeaways. Safety was a tough position for me, Nick. I think out of the entire division here, safety is the weakest group by far across the division, all four teams. Not a lot of talent. I think the Giants can make the case. You can make the case the Giants have the best safety in the division. I put them second, though, behind Washington because you've really put me on to Cameron Curl, uh, the safety for, for the commanders. I mean, his film against the Giants is so phenomenal, and I think he's such a sound player. And then I'm putting it for this debate, Jartavius Martin um, from, from Illinois in the safety discussion. We'll see how they use him. They might just end up using him as like a full-time nickel, which in that case, it's this is, you know, it's probably not great to put him in this, but for now, I'm not so sure. And I liked him a lot coming into this draft. I thought he was the only other interesting safety. Um, there's two interesting safeties in this class that really stood above. He was one of them. So I like that move for them. I'll put them slight edge. Giants with Xavier McKinney there. Um, and then I have third in this division. I had Dallas and then Philly. Both those teams, I think, are, are pretty much a drop-off at safety, though. I, I think the Eagles are going probably through a period where they're going to retool at safety. Sidney Brown, who they selected in the third round, could be that guy, but I think he needs to clean up his tackling issues. Terrell Edmonds is, is a guy who didn't really work out for the Steelers. I don't foresee him working out for the Eagles either. It was just a low-cost investment like Howie Roseman likes to do. High high upside based on maybe his talent level where he's drafted, but who knows if he'll get to that level. And then the Cowboys there, Malik Hooker, Donovan Wilson. I think Jaron Curse is still on the roster. It's an okay, solid unit, but but no, no one's special there. I think the special players so far in this division from production standpoint are McKinney and Cameron Curl, and so that was why Giants and, and Washington was one and two for me. Yeah, I love the Washington call. I actually had Washington three for me, so it was Dallas, Giants, Washington. You brought up Cameron Curl, who I feel like is one of the more underrated players in the league, but I also think Derek Forrest, who is a second-year player last year, a fifth-round pick, I believe, in 2021, 
he had a play against, I think it was AJ Brown running a deep post route. It was like a Yankee concept, meaning there's a deep post route off of play action and then an over route from the backside. And the objective when it's middle of the field close, when it's a cover one type of defense is to have that middle of the field close safety bite down on the over route. And that's going to allow the post to have inside leverage against a one-on-one defender in outside leverage. He's going to have that inside leverage to break to the inside. But Forrest didn't bite on the over route. He knew through film study, this is what the Eagles do off of play action a lot. So he did not bite on the over route. And then Jalen Hurts put the football up there and he was able to undercut it, come away with an interception. A lot of his other interceptions, Forrest, that is, were tip passes and he was in the right place. That's a young player that I'm paying attention to in our division, Derek Forrest. I like that call. The best safety in the division, I think, and I'm not certain about this, but I think is Xavier McKinney. So I do have the Giants too. The reason I have Dallas at number one is because I think Malik Hooker, when he is healthy, has so much range. I think he's a very underrated player. The kid's just never healthy. He was drafted high to the Indianapolis Colts out of Ohio State. He was a basketball player, was new to football. Every time he was out there, he was making plays. He just was never really out there because he tore his ACL and had all these injuries. But I think the combination of Malik Hooker, Donovan Wilson, and then Jerron Curse, that trio in a big nickel, which we know Dan Quinn loves to use, I think that's a really solid trio of safeties. I think they have the depth there. You also have guys like Israel Mukamlu, who was a Gamecock, and he was like one of those six foot four type of cornerbacks who they transitioned to play safety now for the Dallas Cowboys. Jerron Curse is like that as well. You're going to see so much Jerron Curse against Darren Waller. That's the way that Dan Quinn is going to combat these big tight ends. That's how he's always done it with these big, long guys. Think about Dan Quinn. He comes from Seattle. They had guys like Cam Chancellor and stuff like that. So I, I like the depth and the, the starters that they have. And I think if one of them gets injured, you have other players who can rotate in. I think they could do a lot of creative things with their secondary, with their defensive backs. Dan Quinn has done that. So that's why I have Dallas number one. Look, the Giants, it's still a question mark on what the hell is going on there behind Xavier McKinney. But since Xavier McKinney is probably my favorite safety in the division, I have them at two, followed by Washington with their young corners, who I think are really impressive players. And then Philadelphia is, is last here. So, I mean, you have what Terrell Edmonds and, and Reed Blankenship draft the Sydney Brown. So maybe you can get something out of that, but Philly gets another spot, the uh, back end of, of my ranking here. And that makes me smile because they're a really good football team. All right, let's recap by totaling up the scores and giving four points for any team that finished first in a category three for second, two for third, one for last. And I know this isn't a perfect way to do it, Nick and the audience, but because it's weighing positions equally, and we know that's not the case in the NFL, but it was interesting. And so for me, for my rankings, I had Eagles with 36, Giants with 33 in second, Cowboys 31, and Washington way behind with 20 here. So I guess my biggest takeaway would be just the Giants are not only closer to having the roster we want them to in the division, but also potentially have the second best roster. And really, when I think about it, Nick, I think I would prefer the Giants roster to the Cowboys roster at this stage of their development. There's older players in the Cowboys roster. Uh, I also feel like Dak Prescott's a little bit older in his career arc and has less room for growth than Daniel Jones. So I feel like at this stage of it, and even the weapons, like I feel like I'd rather pre I prefer the Giants there as well. So at this stage, of things, yeah, and, and that's just that, just like Bellinger, Waller, Hyatt, these types of receivers they have in addition to having Evan Neal on the roster versus a Terrence Steele. You know, you have Micah Parsons over there. You have Flash for sure and CD Lamb, but I think I prefer the Giants roster to the Cowboys. So it it it, it, it checks out for me. I don't know, though. You prefer Mike McCarthy to Brian Dable, though, right? Yeah, didn't even, get any, didn't even get to the coaches. <laughs> yeah, we're not even going to touch the coaches. I'm very pleased with the New York Giants coaching staff. I'm freaking smiling ear to ear. For me, I have Philadelphia with 35, Dallas with 33, the Giants with 32, and then Washington with 20. And look, Dallas made a, they made a really strong push, right? They finished out 
this series, edge, number one, linebacker, number one, cornerback, number one, safety, number one. So they just got four, 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 just right there down the line. So Dallas just kind of came on strong in their defense. I feel like it, some of those position groups are really close, but I just kind of aired towards Dallas's direction. Cause I do feel like, like we went over Dallas has maybe more depth or more top end talent at certain positions, specifically the cornerback position with Stefan Gilmore coming in and then Trevon Diggs as we went over, but I'm right there with you, man. Even though I have Dallas a little bit higher, I'd completely fine with taking the New York Giants roster. They're one of the youngest teams in the NFL. They're very adaptive. They're strong in the trenches. At least they're building the trenches. I think they can get a little bit stronger at guard, hopefully. But in terms of the defensive line, it's absolutely incredible. You added Bobby Okereke to the linebacker room. Daniel Jones hopefully will only get better in the second year in the system, having that continuity. So I am right there with you, despite the fact that I had Dallas with one more extra point. Awesome. All right, Nick, anything else on our divisional ranking series? I feel like, and you brought this up, you alluded to it, at least the position groups that the, this division suck at, they all suck at yeah. the division group that this division is strong at. They're all pretty strong. At, and I think that's pretty interesting. Crazy. It is interesting. It shows how much they've built to compete against each other. And we'll see where the giants can get to at this point. Yeah, go ahead. I got one thing I want to say, what is the biggest disparity between one team being at the top, which position group in your opinion, okay. being one team being at the top and all the other three behind them. To me, it could be running back dude with Saquon Barkley. It could be running back with Saquon Barkley. I'm trying to look through right now and see if there's anything else that stands out. I would definitely not say safety, definitely not corner, definitely not linebacker, definitely not edge, IDL, offensive tackle. The only other one thing that might be in the mix for me is offensive tackle. There's obviously some potential for the Giants there with Evan Neal, who are my second highest offensive tackle ranked team. But potential is one thing. The, Gi the Philly, Philly has realized absolute elite play right now at both offensive tackle positions. I agree, but I do think there is a, a very reasonable argument, possibly a reality and a fact that the best tackle in division is a New York Giant. Yeah. Philadelphia doesn't have that. They just have the best. I think Myletic could be in the discussion, though. He's in the discussion, but I'm yeah. saying like a clear cut. Like to me, the yeah. difference between Saquon Barkley right, and Philadelphia right. and Dallas is so much more True. than the difference between those two. And then Andrew Thomas specifically, it's just when you look at both tackle positions, that's when the conversation starts. That's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, some people might make the case and we'll find out this year that Jalen hurts is so far ahead of the rest of the division at quarterback. Yeah. He'll have an opportunity. If he, if he puts together another MVP esque season, he's going to be in that discussion. There's no other way to go about it. I know he's still has the talent around him. He's got the greatest thing. I get it. But I mean, if this guy improves on what he showed last year, which is what we discussed earlier and story throwing, you know, big time throws, he's going to be in that mix too. So fun discussion. It was fun to look at just the rest of the division, seeing where the giants stacked up. You guys let us know in the comments, what you think, and also where you think the giants stack up as well. Have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 